electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The fate of the Santa Claus rally has concerns over the virus, has stocks under significant pressure today. Is there still momentum to take your money higher? We discuss, we debate that with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour today are Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, Surat Sethi, Liz Young is BNY Mellon's Director of Market Strategy. Courtney Gibson is President of Loop Capital Markets. Good to have everybody with us. Let's go to the wall and check the market. Stocks suffering through their worst day since late October. However, as Carl was just saying, Goldman, Nike, J.P. Morgan, they're helping the Dow outperform the S&P today by the most since November 10th. Liz Young, turn to you first. Semis down four straight days. Intel's down 10 percent in two days. Santa Claus rally being derailed right before our eyes here or not? I don't think derailed, but I don't know that this is a year where we really should look at a Santa Claus rally as the only thing to take us through the end of the year. Now, we have to look at this in two different time frames. The next 60 days, probably going to be a little bit tough. So does that mean we don't have a big Santa Claus rally? Perhaps. But seasonally, Santa Claus rallies are usually pretty strong and difficult to trade out of. If we look into 2021, now, one of the ways to look at this kind of glass half full about the UK is that all it does is create more pent up demand that can be unleashed towards the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, as long as this vaccine is still effective. So I would look at these mini pullbacks as buying opportunities. All right, Joe, you got a new variant of the virus found in Europe, right? We're focused on that today. You've got the lockdowns in the UK, travel bans around Europe and, uh, and other places. Uh, you still have this debate as to whether the market needs a rest, whether it's about to pick up steam. Tom Lee today says, I th- I'm quoting here, I think there's still a lot of gas left in the tank for a year-end rally. That is versus Oppenheimer today, which says we see stocks at current levels vulnerable. What do you think? Hmm. So it's interesting. I think everyone's focusing on, well, what is going to happen here uh, for the next 10 days? And I think the important thing is to focus on, well, what's going to happen here over the coming quarter? What type of opportunity is going to be provided? And I think overall, you have to look at any dips in the market, I agree with Liz, as an opportunity uh, if there is a correction, in fact. And I think today it gives evidence to that, Scott. You have a tape today that is trying to understand this new variant of the virus. It's also trying to digest a significant S&P 500 rebalance. But yet, there is no flight to safety today. The 10-year Treasury, that's actually selling off. We came in early this morning, was 88 basis points, now up to about 93 basis points. When you're looking at what I call the still society high beta names, whether that's DocuSign, Peloton, or Zoom, they're higher on the day. When I look at risk assumption, risk assumption is still being, uh, be, being uh, accumulated today. Look at biotech. Biotech is very strong. So I think overall it's evidence that, yes, it's right to be concerned. It's right to have caution. 
but let's not step away from being allocated. I think ultimately the real question becomes, how exactly do we want to do that? And Scott, I've been emphasizing over the last couple of weeks, I don't want to go all in in the cyclical-oriented economic recovery type of allocation. I don't want to own cruise ships. I don't want to own casinos. I don't want to own airlines. I want to stay higher up in quality, and I want to make sure that I still have some of my established growth names. Yeah. All right. So, Court, you know, how do you see it? Do, do we have room for a run, or are we going to go through some sort of consolidation? And what does the action tell you now? Well, we're going to see consolidation, but I don't think so in these markets. I think this is just a minor blip, if you will. And we talked about this. We, we didn't say that you're going to see a straight up into the end, a straight melt up. You're going to see some dips. But as I've said before, and I'll say again, if you have conviction around names, this is a buying opportunity. On our desk at Loop Capital today, we are seeing institutional investors picking up, though I'm sure they'd rather be sipping their eggnog for the rest of the afternoon today. When you see pullbacks in some of these names that you have high conviction in, and for the long term you think are going to do well, you're going to pick up on those dips. And I think that's what people should do here. And so you're not going to, you're not seeing a tremendous shift from you know out of tech and into this or that I think you're seeing really sound buyers picking up where the market is selling off on, on, a, on some fears. I mean, we saw the VIX. I know this morning when I looked at it, I think the VIX was around 28 here right now, which is highest. We've seen it kind of since the beginning of November. So when you see kind of some of that fear, that is an opportunity for long-term buy and hold investors to pick up on some quality names. Weiss, our stocks, I'm going to just ask you straight up. Are, are stocks vulnerable at current levels, or is Tom Lee right when he says there's still a lot of gas left in the tank for a year-end rally? Who's right, Tom Lee or Oppenheimer? Because they're not, both not going to be right. Well, actually, I'll take the case they can be right. There is plenty of gas left in the tank, but I don't see the Santa Claus rally happening. I don't see a January effect happening. I think we've seen that all along. Stocks should be somewhat vulnerable. Why, it's though? It's been looking for a catalyst. For Why? Well, why, why don't you see the Santa Claus rally happening? Gone. Is there too much already baked in? I mean, what's the, what's the story? We, we've been expecting one. What, what, that's what's exactly derailing right. it? That, that, that's exactly right. It's, I haven't been expecting one, but it, there is too much baked in already. We've seen the stocks move up too aggressively. And I think it's the kind of market where you've seen money constantly go in and that to buy because you're hoping for an early January effect, as we've seen for the last few years, you're probably not going to get until January, until we get a new administration and the plans are laid out. So, look, Mark's been looking for a catalyst to have a slight correction. Unfortunately, it wasn't the sell in the news that we saw from, uh, from having the, the relief, the COVID relief plan come in over the weekend. So it was the new strain coming out of the UK and other places in Europe. But the viruses, including, you know, the information I've got from reading and talking to companies, is that they can handle the new strains. Viruses, the vaccines are always constructed with a view that this is going to mutate in somewhat. Now, you don't know that for sure until they get in the Petri dish, but you should feel good about it. So in my view, sure, we could be bumpy, as Liz says, I agree a thousand percent. But what I'm seeing here is what Joe's seeing. We're seeing a little bit of a rationalization of the reopen trades that didn't stand a, a chance of being sustainable. The cruise lines, the airlines, the hotels, and you're seeing smarter stock picking, I think, in, the mar in this market. Not entirely. There's still excesses. But overall, it's a more rational market. So I'm happy to see today, frankly. Sarat, I, I get to, to drift from, from most people in both hearing what they're saying and looking at the notes coming into the show today that nobody's terribly worried at all 
about where we are. Maybe that's one thing to worry about. What do you say? I think you're right. I mean, you know, we, we call these things a blip, a hiccup, a bump in the road, and that's really what you're seeing. There's a lot of money out there that still wants to buy stocks. And I think you've seen some positive news that's offsetting this variant. Uh, you know, the big news of, hey, these financials can actually buy their, their, their stock back. And you've got, you know, some, some, some money coming into the economy, not just monetary, but fiscal. So I think, you know, you, you can get a sell-off in certain sectors, but you know, our view is you stay invested, you barbell, you do the growth, you do the reopening trade, and you look for opportunities. What do you I mean, mean you do the like reopening? What does that mean, Surat? What do you mean you do the growth, you do the reopening trade? People have done the reopening trade. So you do the barbell. I mean, you got, you got virus so you concerns now. Is it time to tap right? the brakes about the, the reopening trade? I wouldn't tap the brakes. I wouldn't be aggressive. But if you're invested in them, I wouldn't sell them off at this point. I disagree on the airline trade. I mean, we own Delta. I'm not going to buy all the airlines, but I think... You know, if, if you're looking for six months and further, Delta is the best run airline out there. I wouldn't sell it. I wouldn't buy it. You know, I would buy it now. It's down, you know, it was down 5% today. So I'm looking at those type of stocks too, but I'm also looking at the, at the growth at a reasonable price stock. So I'm not going to be in one camp altogether, but I'm not going to ignore the reopening trade because I think those are some companies that are going to do really well. Okay. You just have to be looking at good companies. Let's use Delta right now then as our proxy on the reopening trade. Airline, whatever, okay? Surat says Steve Weiss... Mm -hmm that he would buy it right here, recommending to our viewers watching the program right now that he would buy Delta right here. You just sold Delta. My notes tell me you sold it. You say, quote, trade's over, done, goodbye. You sold the Jets ETF too. Oh, yeah, wow. so, so I sold the Jets ETF last week and I sold uh, Delta. I started selling it last week, finished selling it this morning. The reason being is that in order to believe that Delta is going to succeed near term better than the other stocks in my portfolio, I've got to believe that you get a normalization of their business. And as I've repeatedly said, you're not going to get it with the most profitable flyers out there, profitable for the airlines, and those are the business travelers. Hell, they're not even coming back to the office for another year, year and a half. So they're not going to be traveling to Europe and to parts you know, unknown where you get the big tickets, the big margins. Plus, I also believe that, you, that, um, that the shareholder, the equity shareholder, is going to be behind the eight ball for so many years to come. They've been diluted like crazy. You've increased the debt load in these balance sheets. So I just don't think it's the same thing. So a, a discount and a significant discount to where they used to sell prior to COVID is more than warranted at this point. Because, Surat, right? I mean, the time to buy Delta maybe wasn't today. It was three months ago. The stock is up 32% in the last three months. I mean, how, how, can, how, how do you credibly counter what Steve Weiss just put forth? Uh, I'll give you the opportunity to. So well, the way I... Yeah, so, so the way I look at it, well, the stock's down more than 50% from the beginning of the year. And if you're going to look out more than six months, and that's what stocks do, you can trade around it right now. But when you look out six to nine months, Steve, I disagree with you. I think people are going to fly as soon as they get the vaccine. These planes are going to be full. Some of them already are. And, and by the way, a lot of these airlines, including Delta, have cut their capacity. So as the capacity increases, so are their margins. Investors look for the second derivative of growth. They don't just look to see what's going on right now. And I think when you look at the best-run airline out there, you can get a return. Now, yeah, does Delta go down another 5%, 10%? It could, but I think the opportunity is there. You, you don't want to just buy these when things, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the, the bridge where at the end of the light is there. You buy them now when the stocks sell off, and, and you look for six to nine months. I'm not looking for this for the first quarter, Steve. I'm looking for this for next year. But what about the and, idea and next of— Next year. Uh, the, I'm sorry, Sarah, but what about this idea, though, that 
you know, yeah. people wanting to get back on planes are not necessarily the high ticket business travelers that Steve Weiss is talking about that mean everything to the airlines, right? The airlines aren't going to mint money off you, me, and whoever else wants to get back on a plane and go on a European vacation next August. They're reliant on the business traveler buying the first class ticket that's the high margin uh, thing, and that's not coming back anytime soon. That might not be back for six to nine months, but once you get a vaccine, people want to go visit their clients. We want to go visit our clients. I mean, you talk to companies, Absolutely. they're not just going to sit there and Zoom all the time. They're going to go out there and the first one that goes to their client and actually is vaccinated and can do it. And, and Scott, people are also going to spend money to go travel. There's so much pent up demand. They are going to spend to, to take their families to go do that. So I disagree with that. And again, it's not like these airlines, the capacity is full like it was six months ago or nine months ago. They're going to increase capacity and they're going to increase their prices and people will pay for it. That is something the have. consumer wants to do and especially the high end. Okay, Court. No, I was just going to, you know, second that I 100% agree with him. And, and Steve, you got to be a little honest here. You've, you've played Delta as a trade. You and I both know that. So you've been in and out of that name for a while, whereas, you know, I'm more of a long-term holder, a customer. And when you think of best in class, I could not have said it better. I mean, that is Delta from management team to being able to manage margins to keeping your customers happy. There is pent-up demand on the retail kind of regular um, leisure traveler for sure. In addition to business travelers, I 100% agree with you. And they are shifting prices. They've talked about it. But ultimately, this stock has been beat down well more than it should have been. And this is a long-term hold for those that can do that in their portfolios. And it can still be a trade. And Steve, you've made money on it. So for this audience, I think depending on what story in case you want to make for Delta, you can make it for sure on, on this name. Okay. Last word to you, Weiss. That, that, thank you. So yeah, it is a trade. And I embrace the trades. But the airlines have done away with change fees. Change fees, and permanently some of them, change fees were a multi-billion dollar industry for the airline industry. And yes, there is pent-up demand. And no, I'm not looking out six to nine months. It took more than three years after September 11th for traffic to come back to the airlines. I don't see it any quicker. Vaccines, they're not going to be plentiful until the end of this year. And keep in mind, only 60 to 70 percent of the U.S. population is going to be taking the vaccines as of now. So, yeah, going out three years, sure, it's long term hold. But and I'm not saying short, sure, but what I'm saying is I see better opportunities elsewhere because you still can't get over how the balance sheet is impinged and how equity shareholders have been diluted. And that alone, nothing else, COVID, nothing else deserves these to be at a discount from where they were prior to COVID. This, and this conversation would be wholly different if we were having it a few months ago before a lot of these cyclical names went on their run. Now it's an entirely different conversation, proposition, and outlook for a lot of the names that have already enjoyed some of the fruits of what people think is going to be the other side of the pandemic. And on that note, our headliner today says some areas of the market may need to tap the brakes after entering what he calls ludicrous mode. Those are his words. He is Jonathan Krinsky. He's the chief market technician at Baycrest. Welcome back. Thanks, Scott. Always good to be here. What's in ludicrous mode? Well, it's a little bit of a plan on Tesla's move last week into the S&P 500. You know, it's some areas that we talked about, uh, some of the SPACs, some of the IPOs, I, I think we'd consider those a bit um, overdone. But even on the index level, um, and I've heard you talk about this before on the show, the small caps, Russell 2000, are, as of last week, were 33% above their 200-day. That's, that's the widest spread in its history going back 40 years. So we have 40 years of data. 
Um, and that includes coming off of bear market lows, which you actually tend to see those spreads um, be wider. So when you see that in all-time high, that's a bit of a concern. I think that, you know, the, the really key message here is, look, we're in a, we're in a bull market. Um, when you're in a bull market, there's times to be aggressively long and there's times to be um, a little bit more cautious. And I think we're expecting some consolidation here. We know that markets can consolidate one of two ways, either through time or through price. Um, so we're getting a little bit of a price consolidation today. We have to uh, weigh that with the fact that we are in a very bullish seasonal time of the year. So I don't think we're going to get a big price pullback um, maybe until the new year, but I think the upside uh, risk reward just isn't quite there given the run that we've had. SPX, this is, I'm reading from your notes. The SPX is also extended from its 200-day moving average, the widest it's been since 2009, one of the widest spreads in the last 30 years. So whatever kind of consolidation we get, doesn't that mean it has the potential to be bigger than normal based on the statistics that you just have in your notes? Well, remember, the 200-day moving average is, by definition, is moving. It's rising. So um, if we just go sideways for two to three, four weeks, um, that would allow the 200-day to catch up. And I think that would be a little bit more attractive. So what we're highlighting our clients um, in our note this week is that there's plenty of names out there that are actually not extended. Um, you know, you take a name like Johnson & Johnson, it's uh, been just consolidating for three years. So, you know, that, that's an, those are type of names that we think um, you can get some, put some money to work. You don't have to be as concerned about um, a price pullback. And they've already, they've already uh, gone through their consolidation. So that's where we'd be looking. But again, when you see um, some, of the, some of the indicators, you know, let's also talk quickly about sentiment. We have um, some of the surveys, like the National Association of Active Investment Managers, on a five-week moving average. They're the most bullish they've been in the history of the survey going back uh, 13 years. So I think you want to, uh, you just want to tread carefully. You don't have to be an aggressive buyer. Um, but we might end up looking back here in four weeks and the S&P is at the exact same price, and it would be a little bit more uh, encouraging than, but, than we are right now. But if I said to you, what's the one area of the market that's most overdone? Is the answer small caps? Uh, I, I think so. If, if you're going historically, and, and to be clear, you know, the time to buy small caps is when there's a lot of uncertainty back pre-election. Um, they had been in a sideways range for three years. We, had, we discussed how there was a very similar setup as to the prior two election cycles in 2012 and 2016. Again, we didn't know what the election, how the election would turn out, but the, uh, the, the wall of worry was pretty high there, and it actually exploded out of that trading range. There's a lot of good news priced in. So I think, yeah, I think that is an area that you have to be a little bit concerned about. Again, we don't think the overall move is done. This is just more of a tactical call, and, and maybe we see a bit of a consolidation as we head into the new year. I want to ask you, and then I want to get our panel's opinion of, of David Rosenberg's tweet of a few moments ago, which says, quote, it sort of speaks to the environment that we're in. It's, quote, so one Bitcoin buys you 500 barrels of oil, a Honda Civic, or half a year's wage, but there's no bubble. Sure thing. Um, how do you respond to something like that? You know, look, we, we're seeing pockets of froth. Um, we see it in the SPAC market, the IPO market. Um, you know, there's single names that are, that are going up 20 to 30% every day. So I think clearly there are areas of euphoria. You can see it in the, in the, in the put call data. That's, you know, the, there's the most amount of calls relative to puts since 2000. Um, so there are signs there. But on the other hand, there are still 
plenty of areas of the market, again, that haven't really experienced that, that frost. So you kind of have to, um, you, you can't paint everything with a broad brush. Um, I think we could certainly look back on this period and, and there'll be some obvious signs that um, some things are in a bubble, but I don't think you can say it's for, for the overall market yeah. at this point. Well, hard to see it when it's in front of you uh, sometimes. It's a good point. Uh, Jonathan, thank you for being here. Happy holidays. We'll see you on the other side, I'm Happy sure. Happy holidays, guys. All right, that's Jonathan Krinsky. Liz Young, what about this? So what about these areas being overextended? But then also this David Rosenberg thing is interesting about the Bitcoin 500 barrels of oil. It could get you a Honda Civic. But, yeah, no, don't worry about it. There's no, no bubble, nothing to see here. Okay, well, Bitcoin is a different beast. And I think Bitcoin is still in the price discovery phase. And in a price discovery phase, you're going to see inflations. You're going to see little bursts here and there. We saw that already a few years ago in Bitcoin. But broader market, I think we have to step back and ask ourselves, what are we really afraid of? Yes, it's possible that we got a little bit overextended. We pulled a lot of positive sentiment forward, particularly in November, which sets us up for a risk of a little pullback early in the year, a la 2019. But there's a lot more that puts a floor on that pullback right now. So even if we have a little bit of a pullback, it's not something that's going to completely send us in the other direction. And I want investors to remember that when you have corrections or even something that borders on a bear market, which I don't think is going to happen, but when you have corrections absent a new recession, they're not that bad. You need it to be coupled with a recession to make it really monumental and to get me to the point where I would say, okay, it's time to take risk off the table. I think you have to stay in this. You have to rebalance yourself and make sure you're exposed to the next leg of what's going to win, but you don't exit the market here. Okay. So the next, the moves that you, some of the moves you guys are making play right into this conversation. Court, you bought Darden restaurants, okay? And you bought it this morning. That stock's up 30 two percent over the last three months these things are, have come a long way after 30 percent why now well it pulled back pretty substantially this morning and at loop capital markets we have an awesome analyst and lynn collier who covers restaurants the story behind the name persists beyond this reopening trade, although it's still well off its highs. We have a $160 price target on the name. The management team is there. So there are a couple of themes, right, that I like. And, and you know, I'm, I'm big on management teams. I'm big on digitization. I'm big on brand, right? Um, you've eaten at Olive Garden, I think, Scott. Um, I don't know if you've had the, the Chilean sea bass at Eddie V's at Darden, but I will tell you unequivocally that this name being down kind of around 113, which is where I bought it, I think it has a lot of room to run. Um, it got sold off a bit today again due to fears and whenever I kind of see that in the market and see a window of opening I should have bought this name much earlier let me be very clear with you and the audience that this name I like cheesecake um, C-A-K-E as you guys know Cheesecake Factory um, but those are names that are going to survive through this unfortunately they are going to take over when you think about some of the small businesses and mid-sized businesses that we have not been able to keep open right the 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 consumer is going to flock to some of these good old faithfuls when it comes to kind of where they're going to dine in. When you think about Uber Eats, when you think about DoorDash, if we do unfortunately come back, which I do not think is going to happen, where everyone has to stay home, these restaurants have responded and they're going to continue to respond to being able to provide folks with food at home. And then when restaurants reopen, 
I mean, it's just, it's massive. And in places like where I live down in Georgia, things aren't closed. So, you know, I think these are names that um, there's still opportunity to grow um, in and, and names that I want to hold in my portfolio. All right, we'll see. I mean, it's 300% off the lows. There are a lot of stocks that fall into that category. General Motors, Weiss, had a good run. You sold it, right? I did. Why? I did. And I want to make sure that, that I announced that I sold it when Labenthal wasn't on the show because I, I don't want to hear any whining <laughs> or harping or anything like that. If you recall, I sold Ford a while ago and switched into GM. It was a mistake to go into GM. Ford, it was a good sale as it turns out. Look, I, I think we've seen the best. The economy is split into, you know, well, the separation, the income separation gap is just widening and widening. And... Uh, Right now, I think you've got a percentage of the economy, a bigger percentage than we hear about, that just can't afford to even put food on the table, no less buy cars. So we're seeing capacity also come back online with the auto companies, both here and abroad, and that's going to force them again, we're seeing it already, to put incentives in. So I think the best days for GM, at least near term, are behind it at this point. That, that so, I, I just wonder... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the other side again. Okay. Go ahead. I think you're wrong, Steve. <laughs> I think you're wrong. You're too quick to pull the trigger on GM. It is the highest quality auto out there. Yeah, it's pulled back, but if you think about it, they're not just increasing capacity. They're having issues getting semiconductors into their cars. And when demand does come back, they're there. And they're in the EV space. They've got the best management team out there, and they've got a really, really good balance sheet. So, again, if you're looking to invest, Steve, you might be right on the trade side, but as an investor, I want to hold GM. But, I mean, the stock's up 54% Surat, in six months. Yeah, and it, it, I mean, from, from the bottom, absolutely. But, Scott, when we were at the bottom, you, you know, stocks like GM and Disney and, you know, Delta, we, we didn't even know we were going to have a vaccine. And some of these companies, we didn't know how, if they were going to survive. Now we know they're surviving. They have strong balance sheets. It's a question of the bridge to when the consumer is back. And I think once it's back, these are the high-quality companies you want to own. But don't you think that a lot of it, I mean, you, could, you could take a, a Delta, a, a, a GM, or a Darden, just to use the examples that were put forth on, on this program and say that, tell me something I don't know. A lot of that's got to be already in the stock, at least a good portion of it. How could it not be? These stocks have been up a lot clearly over three it's months. Not stock, Scott. Hmm? But clearly it's not. I mean, you said the same thing, and I hate to do this to you because you know how I feel about you, but the day you kind of gave me a ha-ha, you, you bought Peloton due to Beyonce, right? Or, you know, and I said, well, no. I said, it's the pent-up demand. It's stay at home. It's getting cold. People are going to want to work out. I mean, had our viewers bought Peloton that day on that dip when it dipped down below 100, I mean, they would be up nearly 50% today. And okay. some would have said, oh, it was up 120%. And so I think we have to be very mindful of where we think the stock is going. And I think that's what Surat is talking about. You know, yes, up off of the bottom, but it still has room to run. You can do that to me all day long. But let me come back. The whole point of this is to, at least where I sit, not where you guys sit, where I sit, is to play devil's advocate and to push you guys as to why you're recommending yeah. stocks at particular times that you are. I used the Beyonce example of trying to talk about whether there was froth in the market and saying, you know, yeah. it makes me sit back and say, hmm, when I hear, you know, my investment committee members say one of the reasons I bought this stock, even after it was up a lot, is Beyonce, for example. I just used that as an, an example. Well, I, I'm, your, your point was made. But it was one of many, remember, Scott? It was one of many reasons. But what that says is when you have a brand like Beyonce getting behind a market leader, right, 
you're going to see momentum behind that name. And that says to me, there's likely longevity in this company, right? I mean, again, some of the names that we've talked about on the reopening, right? We talked about, um, or I'm sorry, the stay at home trades. And I said, well, some of them are gonna fall by the wayside and there's others that have changed the way that we do business, right? And so I think, again, that's where it gets back to being a stock picker's market and deciding what names are going to be here for the long haul and sticking with them. Or if it is a trade, making sure that you're getting in at a place you want to get in, getting out with a profit. Okay. It's all good. Scott, let me, good. let me just answer, if, you know if I can, Surratt, real quick. Hold on, Weiss. Hold on. Hold on. Let me take a break. All right. Okay. I'll let you do it. I promise. I got you. Okay. All right. I'll let you do that. Uh, but up next, though, uh, I'll take a break. We'll come back. Uh, half of the top 20 biggest gainers in the S&P 500 today, they're financials. So is this the next hot momentum trade for investors? The number one large cap banking analyst, Mike Mayo, is going to tell you that because he joins us next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. We are monitoring an ongoing news conference where UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is telling Britons not to worry about food and medicine shortages due to the border closure with France. He says the government has been preparing for exactly this kind of event, and he is already working to unblock trade. New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo is calling for a ban on all flights from Britain, this to prevent the new variant of the coronavirus from coming to the U.S. British Airways says that it will only allow passengers who test negative to fly to New York. Cuomo says he is still waiting to hear from Virgin Atlantic as well as Delta. Attorney General Barr giving his last news conference as head of the Justice Department and contradicting President Trump's assertion that China may be behind the massive solar wind cyber attacks. From the information I have, uh, you know, I agree with uh, Secretary Pompeo's assessment. It certainly appears to be the Russians, but I'm not going to discuss it beyond that. You are up to date, Scott. We're going to monitor the news conference with Boris Johnson. We'll bring you any headlines. Back to you. All right. Good stuff. Sue, thanks. All right, Steve Weiss, I told you I'd give you the last word on GM. And I should also note that farmer Jim Labenthal has tweeted, Steve, I thought we talked about this. You'll be back, he says of GM. Incentives are very low and going lower and sales are rising. So you can take that into context as you give your last word and rebuttal to Surratt. So, look, I can't own every stock out there. Nobody can. But what Srot said is exactly why I own the semis and don't own GM. He's saying semi-capacity is tight. That means the semis can raise prices, which they are. So I'd much rather own those. I see much greater upside in the semis than GM or any auto stock. So I always want to go with the ones that have the pricing power that's obvious and consistent and enduring than the sickle stocks. I've got enough sickle exposure, by the way, that will outperform GM. Okay. 
We will see. Um, I love the debate and the back and forth for sure. How about bank investors getting a nice little holiday surprise on Friday night with word the Federal Reserve will allow the nation's largest institutions to buy back stock again. Shares of the group not surprisingly rising on that news. Some of the better performers today, in fact. Mike Mayo is the, the number one large cap bank analyst. He joins us now. Mr. Mayo, good to see you again, bud. Thanks for having me. You surprised by this news? Well, you know what? Friday night was a big day for bank stocks. It's a key marker on banks' road to redemption from the global financial crisis. This was the most harsh stress test by the Fed in history. They assume unemployment doubling from the current level. They assume losses at banks equal to one-third of the industry's equity, and banks still have one-third more equity than they would need, even under this very harsh scenario. So there's no surprise that banks have the resiliency and the excess capital. You know, I've done the math. But what was surprising is that the Fed allowed buybacks and they allowed them to begin starting in the first quarter. I think it's well earned, but usually at this stage of a recession, when you're talking about banks, like in the global financial crisis, you're talking about banks raising capital. Talk about night and day versus the global financial crisis. Now we're talking about banks' ability to buy back their shares again as early as the first quarter. So we took up a couple numbers today. Goldman Sachs by far is the biggest beneficiary. So what you have here is resiliency, the regulators who are acting pragmatic, and return of capital that's been well earned by the banks. Okay. Uh, a couple things. So what's interesting is you reached out to me last week ahead of Friday <laughs> saying, hey, I'd like to come on and talk about what's ahead for the banks. You hadn't even factored this in yet. Then the, yes. news, comes, <laughs> then the news comes out Friday, and I'm wondering how, if at all, that has changed the bigger picture view about the banks and whether it offsets some concern that if you have a lower rate environment, the banks can't do much from a stock standpoint and whether that's now changed because of the buyback scenario. Well, Scott, I haven't seen you. I haven't been on your show for quite some time. And, um, you know, it's holiday season, so I thought I'd get in one last time before the new year. But what we did is, and what you mentioned on your show last week, is we did increase our estimates on Citigroup, Bank America, J.P. Morgan, and Goldman Sachs because you have stronger for longer capital markets. This idea that, okay, it's a good quarter and it's done, no way. The banks are part of the solution to the pandemic-driven economy. They're helping to fund companies, whether it's underwriting a debt and equity, IPOs. Now, now you're talking about more mergers, trading, acting as intermediaries. So we increased our estimates last week for stronger for longer capital markets. But now the icing on the cake, which we were not relying on, is an earlier than expected return of capital through the way of share buybacks. In fact, six months earlier than expected. So um, this is just one more reason why banks have turned the corners ever since Pfizer Monday. That was November 9th. Since November 9th, bank stocks have outperformed the S&P by 16 percentage points. That's not 1.6%. That's 16 percentage points of outperformance in six weeks. So, yes, you asked earlier in your show, are banks the, the new momentum trade? I don't know momentum or not, but for the next year, you need to own banks. And people who threw banks out because of what happened in the global financial crisis, this kind of, like you know, memory of uh, recency bias from something that happened a decade ago has been completely wrong. And when you do the math, when you do the work, you say these stories that drove banks for their worst year-over-year underperformance 
uh, until November 9th. That was just a story. When you look at the reality is, you know, banks' earnings are fine. They're going to be better than people expect. And at the same time, banks are providing financing. They've revamped branches. They've created, you know, small business systems and other systems to deal with customers. And they've been doing all this with over 80% of employees from home. So not only do you get the earnings benefit, but we think you get a re-rating. And if banks perform through this recession the way we expect, they will, then you could have an extra re-rating on top of that re-rating because banks finally show they have the resiliency, their bond proxies, their annuity-like earning streams, and anything else that's a bond proxy has really skyrocketed except for banks. Yeah, and it is Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley who, who brought forth the momentum idea. I want to give credit where credit is due. He says, with Friday's unexpected announcement by the Fed to let banks resume share buybacks, we suspect banks may be the next big momentum uh, pile-on. And Joe... Before I get to Liz, I know, Liz, you want in as well, and I'll come to you in just a sec. Joe, you know, Mike, as you saw here, uh, Mike Mayo has put the GS flag on the top of the mountain, Joe, as the stock that will benefit the most, he thinks, and you are the one on this panel today who owns Goldman Sachs. Joey T. Yes. Uh, Goldman Sachs contributing 111 Dow points today, and it'll probably take the Dow positive by the end of the day. Goldman Sachs unequivocally has been the best story, the best financial momentum stock to be in, along with Morgan Stanley. So I'm very comfortable continuing to hold those positions. I think the surprise that was presented Friday afternoon, there is no doubt in my mind, had the blessing of Janet Yellen, which somewhat assuages the concern, Scott, that I shared with you last week in terms of the regulatory environment towards financials themselves. And then lastly, I think it's important to understand the difference between the perspective of central banks globally towards banks. The ECB only allows 30% of overall profits to be allocated towards buybacks, where in the U.S., all of those profits can be given towards buybacks. So uh, I, I think a very strong surprise announcement I will stay with Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. I'm surprised USB is not performing today because that's a name I'd like to get into as well. And Capital One is another financial I'd look to add to. Okay, Liz? Yeah, Mike, I have a, a quick question for you. I want to understand the time frame that you're looking at this over because just as devil's advocate for a minute, if we're looking at buybacks as a big boost, which I agree, that's that's definitely possible. And going into the beginning of 2021, I can see banks having a nice quarter or two. But for the rest of the year, won't it kind of exhaust itself? And, and maybe that's your earnings call, that bank earnings are going to improve quite a bit. But I want to understand the sustainability of that. And secondarily, is there a difference between big banks and mid-sized banks? Well, let's pull the lens back. We estimate that the industry will have a 125 billion dollar piece dividend once the war in COVID is won. And that consists of, you know, credit and expenses and other COVID related costs. And that's even before factoring in the buybacks. In terms of the buybacks, I mean, in the case of Goldman Sachs, they, we estimate they can buy back 2% of their shares in the first quarter. And then again in the second and the third and the fourth. And by the way, as the calendar rolls forward, because it's based on your trailing four quarters of earnings, we estimate banks can buy back even more shares. So this will not exhaust itself by, by any means. In terms of the difference between large banks and small banks, I mean, large banks uh, were prohibited from returning their capital, whereas small banks were not. So today is a day about, you know, uh, redemption for the largest banks 
and greater authority for the largest banks to go ahead and, and buy back stock. So I, this is good news for bank stock investors. I should note, uh, you know, Goldman's highs of the day off of these comments. It's also helped as Goldman has, J.P. Morgan has. We mentioned Nike earlier at the beginning of the program. Has helped the Dow come off the mat big time. Uh, eight count maybe today, but it got off the mat. Dow right now is down, as I see, only 20, 25 points. S&P is down uh, by that amount as well. But uh, it continues to be a rally off the bottom for the Dow Jones Industrial Average, in part because of the strength that we're seeing in the banks. Steve Weiss, you bought Bank of America today, right? Yeah, I bought today. I started by uh, on Friday, unaware, of course, that they'd be allowed to buy back stock. Look, it's a laggard. I think Brian Moynihan is one of the top CEOs in the industry. Uh, he doesn't get the press, though. He's, he's more understated than that. So that's why I bought Bank America. I regret selling Morgan Stanley candidly, and if James Gorman were on our show or watching it more often, I never would have <laughs> sold it. Uh, and, of course, Goldman is, is a favorite. I've been waiting for a better opportunity to get into it. I might bite the bullet at some point and buy both of those back, but my thinking is a little more circular. So I own Freeport, I own FCX, I own SQM. And if I believe in the copper story, then I believe in the inflation story, then I believe in a steepening yield curve. And that's why I agree you'll see momentum, more momentum coming to the banks. Yes. Uh, Sarat, quickly for me, you deserve well, to get Sarah, in on this conversation oh. because you own Bank of America, City, Morgan Stanley, and J.P. Morgan. Yeah, so Scott, we've owned over north of 15% of our portfolio, and, and I think this... Uh, this announcement just provides more impetus because now the banks can really control their stock price, especially if we get another downturn. And the one piece that I like about all these banks is the wealth management business. They are firing on all cylinders, and especially in zero-rate interest environments, their alternative products and the other vehicles that they are selling to their customers are very profitable. Right. So I like these, and these have been really hard to own, but I think we're going to see some good things out of them. Yeah, everybody's got a stake here. Court has City and J.P. Morgan as well. Points well taken. Mike Mayo, thank you so much. I appreciate you reaching out to us. I'm glad we could have you on. Uh, couldn't be more timely with this news. Happy holidays to you, your family. We'll see you on the other side. That's Mike Mayo. All right, straight ahead, a bullish call on one Dow component. It's seen a rise of more than 20% in six months, plus what City is calling its favorite contrarian trade for 2021. We'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. 
Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, I have some bullish calls we need to get to today. Rahel Solomon has those for us. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Scott. So the first upgrade is one that RBC says is best positioned to handle whatever 2021 brings. That would be Walmart getting upgraded to outperform. Price target goes to 170 from 153 a share. So analysts like the retailer's improved and consistent U.S. EBIT performance. Noting, Scott, that after key investments in the last several years, EBIT's been increasing for six of the last seven quarters. And City is out with its top contrarian pick for next year. So this is something that they've done for 25 years. And for 2021, they are going with energy, including BP, Royal Dutch Shell, and ExxonMobil. They're bearish on tech. So, Scott, the way they get here is essentially by the worst performing 10 stocks of the prior year and sell the best performing 10. The note advising a bit of caution, saying, while being contrarian might make you sound and feel clever, doesn't usually win the prize. Adding, however, that we suspect that contrarians may do better in 2021. Oh, Scott. interesting. Okay. I appreciate that. Rahel, thank you. So, Joe, I, I look at the note here from you today, and, and you say it's not a contrarian call. It's consensus. Really? You think everybody's sure on the ban- you think everybody's yeah. on the energy bandwagon? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that are very bullish on energy commodities and the opportunity mm-hmm. that it presents in 2021. Um, I continue to advise staying high up in quality. Some of the names that Jim Cramer uh, has suggested are quality names like a Pioneer, um, Chevron, Exxon Mobil, diversified. But I think you have to be careful with energy, and I do believe that overall the sector might struggle. And it is because of the debt maturity that you're going to have towards the end of the year. So $2 billion worth of debt maturity in 2020. Well, here comes about $10 billion worth of debt maturity as we walk towards the end of the year. So I don't think you could paint the broad brush here for the entire energy sector. I think you have to be very tactical, very careful with it. But absolutely, I think the consensus is overwhelmingly bullish for energy. Surratt first, then Courtney. Surratt, you own Chevron, you own EOG, you own Pioneer Natural, you own Apache, you maybe own some others. Uh, those are the four that I do own, actually, and I completely agree with Joe. So the three that I own, the Chevron, Pioneer, um, and EOG, are the balance sheet plays, really strong consolidators in this business. And, and Apache is just my, my kind of option value on a gas play. What I believe here is that, look, the, the S&P now has 2% of it in energy. It used to be almost double digit. These are really solid companies. They're an option value of getting the, the earnings right and really being the major players. It's really bumpy and they're very cyclical. So investors need to have a tough stomach for it. But I do think you'll be probably rewarded um, 12 to 18 months from now. Okay, Court. You know what, call me the third amigo with Joe and Surratt as it relates to the quality of the names in energy. It is much smaller, and so our clients at Loop Capital have to have some exposure to it, but you want to stay on the higher end of that quality. Joe, I will tell you, though, that the, the debt is not as big of a concern for me because, obviously, the, they can you know raise capital, they can refi that debt, and hopefully we'll be a part of that, uh, that new issuance. But though, that's not necessarily the issue, but I think the names that you mentioned are 100% where you want to be. It's just like with the banks, right? So I think you want to stick with the top quality banks, great leadership, ones that have embraced digitization, ones that have asset management businesses, and they will be there for the long term. That investment banking and trading business is going to keep those large commercial banks afloat. That's not going to lend itself well to some of the mid-sized banks that don't have that exposure. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We have many more trades to still get to. We'll do it next. 
It's time for the futures outlook. Oil is tanking today after a new strain of the coronavirus emerges abroad, raises concerns about demand. Let's bring in Scott Nations of Nations Index. It's good to see. You. I mean, it's so timely for what we were just talking about, whether now's the time to get into energy stocks. A lot of that has to do with where the price of oil goes from here. You tell us where you think it is going to. I think over the short term, it's going to go lower. Scott, crude had it coming. It had been almost straight up since the low on November 2nd. That low was below $34. A uh, closed Friday, crude oil closed Friday with relative strength index of 75. So it wasn't saying it was overbought. It was screaming it. So how do you play it now? In the short term, I would be a seller of crude oil futures. I'd love to sell the February crude oil contract, $47.50, just a few cents above where it's at right now. Once we're in, the target would be $44. Why? Because that's just above the December low, just above the December low. And stop, we're always going to trade these with a stop, $48.25. And you can see right there, we'd be risking $750 to make actually $3,500. Gotcha. Good stuff. All right, Scotty, thank you. Scott Nations, Thanks, quick man. break again. Final trades on the other side. All right, final trade. Joe, you're up first. Dow's going positive, by the way. It is Goldman Sachs, Nike helping it, and Microsoft, which is my final trade. Jonathan Krinsky mentioned consolidation stocks moving higher. Microsoft is one of them. All right, good stuff. Thank you. Liz Young. Uh, no disrespect, Steve, but I'm using Jets today. I believe <laughs> that there is going to be a good momentum coming into the first half of the year, and I don't want people to miss it. It'll happen fast. A little disrespect. It's okay. It's all right. All right, quickly, guys, names. <laughs> names only. Courtney, you're up first. Then Steve Weiss. Then Surratt. I'm sticking with DRI. You said names only. Vulcan Materials, VMC. Hurry up, Surratt. JP Morgan. All right, good stuff. Thank you. The delay makes that hard. Thanks, guys. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.